many of you, um, particularly if you sit near the front, will know uh, that we have a schedule for a Sunday morning. And uh, it gives us a guideline of what happens when and make sure everyone's coordinated. Uh, we don't always keep to it very strictly. Um, but I've got a sample of, of one of those there for today. Is it up there? No, not up there yet. It's coming. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> well, it might not come. We're just going. <laughs> okay. But uh, the one produced for this morning, you might not be able to read exactly. Uh, the details, but the next slide will show you that. It says that at 10.55, a little earlier than normal, um, there's notices and offerings, and then what's just happened, Mick and Val are publicly embarrassed. Uh, I have to say that in church life, our plans are not always fulfilled so well, but I think uh, Russ and the team, you did that amazingly well, and we feel thoroughly embarrassed. Um, so you can take that off as a success. Uh, these five and a half years that we've been here have been bonus tracks on the album of uh, ministry for us. Um, as Russ said, it wasn't in our plans. Our plans originally were to stay in London till about now and then move to Exeter, where our married daughter lives. And, uh, but these years have been a bonus, a bonus of meeting special people, and sharing in special experiences and seeing exciting changes. Um, I was just thinking about all the changes. If you were here five and a half years ago that happened in this church, um, not least to the auditorium, um, I went, when I first came in for my very first Sunday, there was something that looked like a black pillbox out of uh, the Second World War where they hid the drummer. Um, <laughs> But besides how friendly and warm this almost aircraft hangar now feels because of the work the team has done, if you were here five and a half years ago, you will know there's been quite significant changes to our pastoral team as well as our support team, but I couldn't remember everybody's name. But when I was here, Martin was an elder, Guy was an elder, um, Andrew was an elder, Adam was on staff. They have all moved on and are flourishing in other situations. And now on the pastoral staff, we have Tim and Andy and George and Hannah and Sean stepped into eldership. And um, the impact of our ministries, especially, I think, Compassion Plus, have just increased in scope and in depth. I have to say, it's a really good time to join CityGate, but it's also a good time to leave. Um, knowing that it is flourishing. But it's now time for us to resume our journey to the southwest, and our immediate plans, in case you're interested, is that we're going to take some holiday, um, and then we're going to put our house on the market at the end of March. That's the plan, and then we will move to Exeter as soon as that all rolls forward. So you might have to see us every now and again on, on a Sunday, um, but we are going to take the opportunity over the next few months to visit all those churches that we couldn't um, because we were committed um, to either here or other churches in the past. Um, I don't like the word retirement because that just tells you about what you're not doing. It's not about what you are going to do. And uh, over a year ago, I felt the Lord say uh, to us, he was going to refocus our energies, reorder our priorities, and restructure our diary. And that sounds much more exciting than retirement. Um, 
We will be joining the church, one of the commission churches, part of our family at Exeter, and we're going to support their leadership team. And they said they can let me, they will let me preach now and again. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, do whatever we can to help there. So as you can imagine, I've been thinking about this day and what I might say on my final message to you as one of the elders. And I've been looking at farewell speeches and I thought I, maybe I could adapt Bilbo's farewell speech from Lord of the Rings. Um, I'll translate this in your head. My dear Bagginses, Boffins, my dear Tooks, Brandybucks, Grubs, Chubs, Burrowses, Hornblowers, Bulgers, Brace Girdles, Good Bodies, Brockhouses, and Proudfoots. Um, Bilbo went on to say, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. I want to tell you that I'm immensely fond of you all and that the years we have spent here is too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. And then he concluded by saying, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> but I thought I wouldn't say that because it might be misunderstood. So I've been puzzling about what to say, and, um, and then I got the preaching rotor for January, and I was to do this preach. And when I looked at the passage, I thought, it's got it in that. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, and um, we're going to pick up just at the end of verse 18. And Paul is continuing to say at this part why he continues to rejoice. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know I'm torn between the two. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and will continue with all of you. Well, that's obviously not happening. They're not my doesn't work for me, because I'm not going to continue. Um, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that by being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. But listen to this. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through 
the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. As I step down from eldership and move away, this is what I'd like to say, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Whatever happens, whatever happens, this is Paul's call to set the right priorities. Whatever happens, there's so much we can't control. But whatever happens, whether you get that job unexpectedly offered to you on the last day, or if you went into the office and you were made redundant, whatever happens, whether it's good news or bad news this week, this year, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul knew that uncertainty was part of being human. Um, after years of successful ministry, making a huge impact, he spent the last few years of his life in prison. But he says, when in the earlier passage that Tim shared with us last week, he says, I might be in prison, but because I've got my priorities straight, I can rejoice. I might be in prison, but now I've got an audience that I would never have before. I've got the whole Praetorium Guard being impacted by the gospel. And other people who were timid and weren't bold enough to share their faith have been encouraged and inspired to do that now because I'm in prison. And he goes, yeah, some of them are doing it out of bad motives. They're doing, doing it to make me jealous. But he says, what does it matter? The important thing is Christ is made known. He had that as his priority. If the most important thing in Paul's life had been comfort or profile, his success or his popularity, he would have been downhearted in prison. But because his priorities were elsewhere, he could rejoice. And he says, and I will rejoice. And he's calling these Christians to rejoice. He wants to encourage them to have the right priorities so that their life might be filled with joy. Whatever happens, conduct your lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Translators have a difficult job because it's possible to take the essence of meaning of one language and put it into another language. But every word and phrase often has many associations and connotations that you can't convey in a simple phrase. And so you always miss a little bit. Not the essence, but some of the flavor and some of the resonances. And the word behind um, conduct yourselves has behind it in the Greek, in which Paul wrote, the root of it has the word polis, which is like politics. And when the Philippians read this, it would have registered with them, it could have been translated, live as citizens of heaven. 
live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Paul later in this letter talks about, he says, you are citizens of heaven. Chapter 3 and verse 20. And for citizens, for people living in Philippi, was a really important idea because they were citizens of Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony, and that was very special in the ancient world. It meant that your name was written in the rolls in Rome. It meant you had the position and privileges of being a Roman citizen. And it meant that Philippi was supposed to be a little Rome in miniature, modelling the values and the glory of Rome so it would influence the whole province in which Philippi was. To say, conduct yourselves, live as citizens. That's what Paul is saying. When um, I was at school, it wasn't a very flash school. It was a secondary modern school for boys on a large council estate. But we did have a school uniform, and our headmaster was quite outstanding. If you caught the bus and skylarked on the bus and someone complained and it got back to the headmaster, there would be a full assembly and he would get you out the front because we had brought the name of Garth High School into disrepute. Conduct yourselves as someone who is a pupil here because you wear the uniform. Your, what you do reflects on us. And you know, some sports stars, members of the sports team, get in trouble because they bring the game into disrepute. In The Guardian yesterday, they had an article about Cantona and his kung fu kick, which I think was 25 years ago. He brought the game and he brought Manchester United into disrepute. Don't bring Christ's name into disrepute or his kingdom or his home. The Ten Commandments talk about not taking the Lord's name in vain. And often when we can apply that just narrowly to not taking oaths or something like that. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you take the name of Christ, and it makes no difference to your life, to how you conduct yourself at work, if you're not known for your honesty, purity, straightforwardness, if people don't know of your love and your compassion, you are taking the Lord's name in vain because he has tied his reputation to our behaviour. What people think of Christ is in large part determined by what they see of those that follow him. Live your lives in such a way as bring honour to him. Conduct your lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And to do that is not easy. It requires that we stand firm. Whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I want to know that you stand firm in one spirit. Standing firm is a military image. 
And it's an image that Paul uses again and again throughout his letters. Um, And this is not just for apostles or leaders, but for every Christian will know opposition. So Paul says in Ephesians, stand firm in the spiritual battle. He says in Galatians, stand firm in Christian freedom. Don't slip back into narrow, legalistic, rule-based religion. Stand firm in the distinctive teaching of the Bible. Stand firm. To live a life that's worthy, you have to stand firm. Conflict is inevitable if you consistently follow Christ. If you stand out for Christ, you will have to learn to stand up for him. You need to realize why cleanliness is not always next to godliness. Sometimes oddness is next to godliness. Do you know that? That because of a distinctive Christian lifestyle, not all of that is understood or appreciated or valued by people who don't know Christ. And they will think you are odd. Unless you are willing to be, con- to be considered odd, even by people that are important to you or are influential, unless you're willing to be considered odd by the media, then you should take your Christian badge off. Because the call of Christ is to stand out and to stand up. And at times, not always, at times, well, people will feel you're strange and peculiar. It is part of the cost of following him. The one who was considered of no reputation. The one that was abused and mocked. If you follow him, you won't be surprised that sometimes that might happen to you. Now, some Christians have taken this truth to be an excuse for being simply awkward or obnoxious. They have excused their unwillingness to learn anything new or respond to any positive change in society. And you know what? In our society, there are lots of good changes as well as bad changes. We're not called to be denying of the good that that is in others. But equally... Some can follow Christ only to the point at which it will cause conflict. And at that point, they compromise. Do not be such people. And I guess whenever I think about this, you might share this feeling too. You think about opposition that Paul clearly says, not only he faced, but Christians would face, even persecution. And you can feel a little bit guilty Because you don't get much. Now, some of you know the heat of battle, even today, and in your workplace. But many of us, life is relatively comfortable, and people respect us for our faith. And you think, where's the opposition? Where's the conflict? How do I make sense of that? Does that mean I'm a compromiser? Well, not necessarily, but you do have to ask that question. But not necessarily. If you know anything about the Second World War, or any war really, you will know that most people in, in Britain were not on the front line. Many people didn't see conflict. Some people never knew of a bomb being dropped on their 
town. Because war has it, the conflict engulfed everybody, but it didn't involve everybody in great hardship. But here's the thing. The whole economy, the whole population was geared to win that war. And all of our lives are supposed to be geared for the glory and advance of God's kingdom and Christ's cause. Some of us will be right on the front line. I think when I think of that, I think of uh, David and Karen out in Beirut with all the turmoil that's going on in that society and trying to win to Christ some of the people that are most conservative and reactionary. That feels like the front line. But the front line can be in your factory. It can be in your classroom. Some of you will know the heat of battle because you have stood out for Christ. If we're not in that place, it doesn't mean we're not involved in the conflict. It means we are to be gearing our lives around supporting those on the front line. If you were around in the Second World War, um, I missed that by a few years, um, you will know that everything changed. There was rationing. There was working longer hours. It was doing jobs that maybe you didn't want to do, but it helped the war effort. We are all called to be involved in the effort of winning the war for Christ, which in a strange way has already been won but still needs to be fought for. Opposition will come. For some of us, we will escape this life knowing just mild disapproval and raised eyebrows. For others of us, it might even cost us our lives. But together, our lives are to be geared around the extension of Christ's kingdom. That's how you conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So can I encourage you and ask you, is your life geared around that? Paul knows that's tough and difficult. Standing out from the crowd and standing up for Christ is difficult and you can't do it alone. And so he writes about standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man, or striving together, as it says in another translation. To live like this, to live at odds at times with the world, you need to be in relationship with others. You can't do it alone. We need brothers and sisters to encourage and strengthen you, pick you up when you fall down, warn you when you drop your guard, and most, most importantly, pray for you. That is what church is. Church is not primarily a meeting. It's not an event. It's not a building. It's a community. It's a family. It's brothers and sisters who look out for each other and support each other and care for each other, who carry each other's burdens that we might live this sort of life. Not many, if any of us, will thrive without such deep, committed relationships. 
And you will hear this again and again through this series, this word partnership, about being involved. And many of us have found our place of connection here. And I want to encourage you, if you are not yet connected, if you just drift in and out, you need to connect for you to enjoy all the life that God has for you. And if it is not to connect here, then find the community of believers where you can connect. For otherwise, you are likely to wither and die and you will lose your distinctiveness and so lose your joy. Christian community is critical to living a life worthy of the gospel, but that's not enough either. Most of all, we need the inner strengthening of God. One of the things to help us both grow as a community and to get our strength from God is the devotional booklet that's been produced. If you haven't got one, they're available. It gives you a reading for every day and things to pray for and focus on for this church. Please get hold of these and use them. It would strengthen you in your inward self, but also, because we're all doing it together, you've got something to talk about. You've got something to share. You can, it can build the t- relational ties between us. If you're committed here, I'd encourage you, strongly encourage you, get one of these, work through it through this season. But we need the help of God himself to live like this. Paul is confident, he says earlier in this passage, that he will have sufficient courage to live for Christ because of their prayers. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help that will be given through because of your prayers, help will be given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Do you want sufficient courage to live differently? then you need the community of believers and you need their prayers for you and they need your prayers for them. This is only possible because Christ battled the powers of evil alone on the cross so that we would never have to be alone, but we could be in a family. And we never need to feel forsaken because he was forsaken for us on the cross and has opened up the resources of heaven for us. The Philippians were not just to be inspired and encouraged by Paul's example in prison, nor even simply by the example of Christ and his suffering on the cross, but his very spirit lives in us. That spirit that helped him to take the mocking and the shame, the opposition and the persecution, that spirit is in us who believe. And it is by seeking the aid of his spirit that we can live this life. For the peace that passes understanding and the joy that is beyond expression is only found by getting our priorities right and drawing on the resources of heaven by the Holy Spirit. So, here's our prayer for you. Whether we see you, 
I was doing well to then. <laughs> so whether we see you or hear about, only hear about you, we will know that you are living lives worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one for the faith of the gospel. To the glory of God, to the blessing of many, and much joy in your lives. This is our prayer. And our final song is a prayer. We sing, it's an old, it has old words, but tremendous meaning. Come, thou fount of every blessing. And we pray, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, that they might be multiplied as they have been over the years in this place and to this community. Thank you, team.